What we do here is go back, 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 back. back. And welcome into episode 52 of the Two and a Half Marks podcast. My name is David Stabman, and as always, I am joined by my good friends Angelo and Glisa and Jake Long as we rewatch, relive, and remember a different wrestling pay-per-view every single week. And ladies and gentlemen, big things happening in the Markiverse right now. <laughs> this is going to be the first time that we record a podcast and people aren't opening the door behind Angelo to let the dog in and out and he doesn't have his mom yelling at him in the background for eating too many biscuits at dinner because Angelo is now moved into his own apartment by himself for the first time in his life recording live from Pittsburgh Pennsylvania I guess I mean not by by myself by definition yes yes I did live in college and then some for five years by yes but not alone i lived with you angelo i (laughs) you were never alone in your life i don't know i spent a lot of time alone at school while i was teaching uh no but anyway yeah (laughs) it's great to uh have my own place i also heard i heard david was coming to new jersey i'm like well i gotta get out of the state now and so i I am well i'm only temporarily in new jersey but i am going to take this time to become best friends with your mom sure thing so I'm going to take this opportunity. You do that. But this yeah. Is, this podcast is very pro Angela's mom. She is a sweet lady. Love my um, mom. The, yeah, we are. So we're all very proud of our of our large adult son, Angelo. Um, there is literally nothing new in my life. So, yay. Yeah. But we're still talking about wrestling, boys. We're talking about that wrestling. And we are going back to the very, very, very end of of the WWF Attitude Era. We are talking about No Way Out 2001. We have The Rock and Kurt Angle in the WWF Championship match in the main event. We have, as the kind of big featured contest, a fantastic three stages of hell match between Stone Cold Steve Austin and Triple H. And this is very much a 2001 WWF show. And I feel like we kind of say that a lot about stuff like, oh, this is very much a 1997 WCW show. It's like very, uh, you know, very cliche, but it's it's very perfect for what it is. You know what I mean? It is, when you watch it, a lot of the booking and the stories make a lot less sense than the ones that came like even a year or two before in WWF. But at the same time, the in the in ring wrestling is a lot better than what you got in like 1999 2000 <laughs> and i really enjoyed the show personally there's some dumb shit in there but i enjoyed the show a lot no i, th- I-, I think the i think the dumb shit was was limited though like yes i i don't think it was nearly as ridiculous as some other things that we may have you know recently watched and i think that all of the boring stuff was very intentionally Maybe not boring, but dull and not meant to be exciting. And I'll talk about that more when we get to it. I mean, I think the the best thing going for this pay per view and why it was like oh, it, it was a good watch. The fans that are there, like the fans, are alive from start to finish. I don't think there's a single match that they really kind of tune out of, except maybe the tag team match towards the end there. That's just because it's in that dead spot. But for the most part, the fans are like ravenous all night. And I think that kind of goes to show 
what WWE was then versus what WWE is now. This version of WWE, like particularly the three stages of Hell match, that does not happen on like Raw or SmackDown. I know we had one in NXT a couple of years ago, but such a different style. It's nowadays it's much more geared as PG, almost cartoonish in terms of like your storyline and the wrestling that goes on. This was very much still very gritty, very quote unquote realistic and more so like trying to get that shock value. I don't think you really get that anymore with the current like the current version of WWE. So it was nice I to mean, see that really gritty realness to it. I mean, call it what it is. The three three stages of hell match is violent as hell. And it's great. <laughs> I mean, I had a blast watching this match. And Triple H and Stone Cold just beat the hell out of each other for 40 minutes straight. And they both worked their asses off. And I, I know Angelo had some had some quibbles with it because he is a, a joyless cad. But we will get there when we get there. That's a little bit later in the show. But sounds like we're ready to remember some guys. You want to remember some guys? Let us Always. get to the guys. Let's remember some guys. So it is February 25th. 2001 we are at the thomas and mac center in paradise nevada just outside of las vegas a sold out house of 15,223 in attendance for a momentous uh pay-per-view in wwf history this is the last pay-per-view of the monday night wars era in wwf just a few weeks after this WCW will officially be sold to WWF, and we'll get the last episode of Nitro. We'll get uh, WrestleMania, I believe it was 17, is a few weeks after this, and that will is commonly marked as the end of the Attitude Era, and then afterwards we get the Invasion Angle, which we've discussed extensively on a few episodes of the show, if you want to go back and listen. But we got a really good show here. Angle Rock in the main event, as I said, three stages of hell, Triple H, Stone Cold. It's a hot crowd. It's a big crowd. You have all the classic Attitude Era sights as we come in. You have the sea of signs in the crowd. You have them flash to the you know packed WWF New York restaurants, which I really wish I could have like been alive to go to <laughs> because it's like by all accounts it sucked, but I kind of wanted to go. I kind of want to go there. <laughs> Like just, really just, just to be able to say that you had been. Yeah, just to see what it's like at WWF New York. I wonder what it is now. It's probably like, uh, they probably like turned it into an ESPN zone or something, and then that stopped existing also. <laughs> it's probably Bubblegum Shrimp now. Ooh, probably. I'm actually looking it up right now. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, oh, it, it's, it's a Hard Rock Cafe. Oh, dang actually. it. You know yeah. what? I knew that. I, I, I actually did know that. Ironically, I, I had say. Hard Rock Cafe for lunch today. Did you really? What a coincidence. Is there Is a Hard a Rock Cafe yeah. in Pittsburgh? There's one like in the area. Like I'm not in Pittsburgh proper. Like I'm not in the city. I'm in a suburb of suburb. Sub, uh, uh, Burb. Suburb. suburb. Can't speak. <laughs> a suburb of Pittsburgh. But there is one near the office that I work at. Is that a place that people just like go for lunch? There's a hard rock cafe in Moon Township, Pennsylvania, or wherever the hell you live. <laughs> hey, they, so had a, they had some bomb pulled pork. Well, I'll say that much. All right, man. I haven't, been to a, I haven't been to a hard rock cafe in like 
Maybe I was a freshman in high school. I think I've never been. I think never I went. Been. I think I. W- I think I was a freshman in high school. Like the last. Angelo, I'm, Angelo, I'm going to visit you, and we're going to go. Okay. Hell yeah! I want to go to the Hard Rock Cafe <laughs> in Coraopolis, Pennsylvania. <laughs> That's what I, I think. Green Tree. Green Tree. Okay. That. I don't know why Green Tree, Pennsylvania, has a Hard Rock Cafe, but I'm going, <laughs> buddy. But yeah. Uh, we have JR and Jerry the King Lawler on the call for the first half of the show. And we're leading off with the WWF Hardcore Championship. It is scheduled to be a singles match between the champion Raven, who was like, I want to say a 25-time Hardcore Champion. This was while it was still 24-7 rules, which now that I think about it, the 24-7 championship still exists now, and it hasn't been on Raw in like, three months so wait really that, yeah i think hold on i'm looking that up i think akira tozawa is currently the holder yeah i think yes. akira tozawa is on like the longest ever 24 7 title reign and it's like two months or something um but yeah raven is defending against uh aew dark elevation commentator the big show uh he uh, raven comes out first as the champion champions are coming out first all night long here at this show which is something i'm not a huge fan of but whatever uh he is rolling out a shopping cart full of weapons new jack style down to the ring r.i.p new jack he's got a fire extinguisher in there he's got uh multiple brooms i saw a basketball in the in the shopping cart as well he rolled into the ring but uh no one uses the basketball in this match uh, Big Show still has hair at this point in time. He is attacked by some strange, like, someone in, like, a black, like, bodysuit attacks Big Show as he walks out. Um, and that gives Raven, like, the jump on him. Raven goes after him. But Show just starts beating the shit out of him. Um, and it's your typical little hardcore match. Show is hitting him with a stop sign. And Raven's hitting him with a fire extinguisher. And then... It all completely breaks down almost instantly. A uh, a popcorn vendor runs out of the crowd and attacks uh, <laughs> Raven. Hits him with a springboard bulldog. We then it is then revealed that this uh, it's actually Crash Holly posing as a popcorn vendor. My again, boy, Crash Holly. R.I.P. Crash Holly. It is again twenty four seven rules. So any of the any of the geeks backstage can just run into this match, and you know this basically <laughs> turns into like a seven way match. Um, Steve Blackman runs out the lethal weapon. He starts attacking the big show with nunchucks. Uh, hardcore Bob Holly runs out hitting everyone with trash can lids. Blackman breaks a kendo stick over, uh, big show's head. Uh, Billy Gunn emerges out of nowhere and hits a famouser on Raven gets the pin. So Billy Gunn becomes the hardcore champion for about, 45 seconds uh everyone continues to just brawl wildly all over the ring there's like popcorn everywhere raven ends up pinning billy gunn to win back the title after holly and steve blackman teamed up they hit this kind of cool guillotine leg drop backbreaker combo off the top rope then uh big show comes back in the ring starts beating the shit out of everybody uh, the, the strange ninja lady person that attacked Big Show at the beginning of the, uh, match, who I don't know who this was, like, I haven't gotten confirmation on who this person was, I, I probably look a little bit harder, but she walks out with Molly Holly, 
they like walk out together and then they stand in the ring awkwardly for a moment looking at the big show and then Molly Holly turns and then hits the other woman in the head with a trash can lid and then she leaves. So there was no point to this whatsoever. Um, and then so Raven hits Big Show in the head with a trash can a bunch of times, but then Show nose sells everything. Choke slams him onto the trash can lid or onto a trash can, gets the pin. He wins this like impromptu hardcore battle royal type thing in six minutes and thirteen seconds. And afterwards, he beats everybody up a little bit more, and he leaves the new hardcore champion. David, you used the phrase uh, "fell apart." I think. Oh, what, what was the word you described? Or used to describe this at the beginning? I think I said "fell apart," and I think that's fell an apart. accurate description. Yeah. No. So you said "fell apart." Like that's not what literally every single one of these matches ever was. Like David, what's your favorite hardcore title match? I I can't remember a single one, honestly. Because <laughs> they, they were all like this. They, they were genuinely all like were. This. Yeah, but like I don't know. There's just something fun about these. I it, we've talked about it before, but WWE, WWF, they always open the shows well. Almost never is there a dud, like uh, like having the crowd booing and hating it to start the the show. And I think this was like all of them. It's like you get the guys out there, let them get their stuff in, get some cool hardcore stuff in, and we'll get out of here. Even if some of it was like two random women hitting each other with trash can lids, but still. I mean, the thing I felt most strongly about was the fact that we got robbed of the OG show theme because that thing, I, I just love that theme as opposed to the one that he got later on. Uh, but like Jake, you said that they always start the show well. I actually have this like, this is kind of like both the perfect and worst opener. It's perfect because you got a lot of guys out there, you get a lot of action and you know what? There's not a lot of downtime and stalling or build up but at the same time it just also comes off as a absolute mess it can be hard to follow and if you're trying to get like some of your buddies to start like watching wrestling or taking them to watch wrestling and this is what you show them first you're either gonna have people that love it or hate it i don't think there's anyone's like yeah that, that was okay you, you're either gonna you're gonna get a lot of people off the rip or you're gonna piss them off off the rip yeah it's like they decided to just like kind of lead off with some wild nonsense to like just kind of have some fun and it is like entertaining i guess yeah it's it's entertaining it's just a bunch of like dumb shit but <laughs> I, I don't know it's, it's fine you know hell i i, I probably would have actually let off with this next match just because i personally if like and, and no one has literally asked me ever about how <laughs> i would lay out a show and they shouldn't because i'm an idiot but like if i were laying out a show like, and this was the card, I would probably lead off with the match where it's like, here's a bunch of great workers. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. Kind of like how WCW used to always lead off with the cruiserweights. I, I sort of like that philosophy. But it's a lot of fun. It's just a bunch of dumb shit going on, and the crowd does enjoy it. Um, I did get confirmation on the the ninja person. Um, you guys remember Tori from... Like 2000, 2001 WWF? Tori or no? Tori Wilson? Tori, just Tori. T O R I. Uh, so this was, uh, she was just some lady who was floating around WWF in the late 90s, early 2000s. You guys might remember, I think like one of the first episodes we did was King of the Ring 2000. She was in a tables match with the Dudley Boys. Yes, you're right. Oh, okay. And, they, and the I think it was the D, uh, the Dudleys like 
like completely power bomb the shit out of her through a table and like she suffered a career ending injury. Yeah, that was, actually, I do remember that now. That's her. She was interesting. She had a two month run as this black ninja character. She got uh, two weeks after this, Molly Holly unmasked her and revealed her identity on an episode of Sunday Night Heat, and then she disappeared <laughs> from TV. And so, she was yeah. never heard from again. That was the last time she ever appeared on WWF television. That is... Oh, man. That is some she, classic WWF dumb shit. And now she runs a yoga studio in Portland. Oh, so, good for her. Yeah, I hope she's doing well. Uh, respect. I, I remember she took the hell out of that powerbomb bump through the table. <laughs> like, she almost died. I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> but, yeah. So, that's who that was. Uh, huh. Just one of the most obscure people that you can pull out of this area. I don't, I don't know if that makes it better or worse. No, I, I kind of don't know. But, yeah. Next up, we have Kurt Angle rolling in uh, backstage, defending his WWF title in the main event. He gets interviewed by Kevin Kelly. He says that Las Vegas has the highest percentage of losers in the United States, and tonight there's going to be one more loser added to the mix. The Rock. Cheap heat. Fans hated it. Next up, this is, this is uh, just like the, the, the names in this match you could tell. Oh, like, God. There was no doubt it was going to be good, and it was very good. It is a four-way match for the Intercontinental title. It is Chris Benoit... Eddie Guerrero, X-Pac, and the Intercontinental Champion, Chris Jericho. So God it's like bless Eddie's mullet. Four out of the top six or seven workers in the company, arguably the top four workers in the company, period, in WWF at this time, um, going at it in a four-way match. Backstage, you have Benoit and Eddie, the great friends, getting interviewed by Lillian Garcia. And they're basically saying, hey, you know, we're... We're, we may be competing against each other, but we're buddies. You know, it's it may be every man for himself, but one of the two of us are walking out with the title. So it is, again, Chris Jericho is in his freaking prime. I mean, he is a sight to behold coming out here. And you have X-Pac, who comes out to just no reaction whatsoever. I mean, it is negative heat for X-Pac, which is a shame because he was a great worker. But yeah, very early on in this match, the story is, as kind of hinted in this interview, Eddie and Benoit basically teaming up in this match. They're working tag team spots on Jericho and X-Pac, but you can sense some dissension a little bit between the two of them. Uh, they uh, are doing a spot where they're setting up Eddie going for a frog splash, but then Benoit puts X-Pac in the crossface before Eddie can come off the top rope, and Eddie's like, what the hell, man? I thought we were teaming up. And then Jericho breaks up the uh, crossface. Uh, a bunch of moves. It's, a lot of this match is just like guys hitting moves, and then the third guy runs in and breaks it up, or the fourth guy runs in and breaks it up. Which is always fun. I'm just going to say it right now. Always fun. Yes, I enjoyed this match a lot. Uh, and it's really from the beginning. This is like sort of the flow of this match. Eddie hits a frog splash on X-Pac. Jericho breaks it up. Uh, X-Pac is about to hit the Bronco Buster on Benoit, but then Jericho comes in and hits him with a missile dropkick. Benoit hits this just absolutely picturesque, gorgeous, bridging German suplex. I mean, the best. Uh, this guy had the best freaking German suplex in the history of wrestling on, uh, on uh, Jericho, but then Eddie breaks it up. And then Benoit and Eddie, who are 
went in as the as the two buddies. They start fighting. Um, Eddie hits a pop-up Hurricane Rana, then a backdrop suplex where Benoit lands directly on his head. Uh, Benoit hits a superplex. Uh, Benoit, um, or yeah, Jericho gets uh, Benoit in the Lion Tamer. Then he switches the Lion Tamer to Eddie. Then he puts uh, X-Pac in the walls of Jericho. Just Incredible makes a run-in. One of my favorite uh, just random guys from this time period. To uh, Just Incredible, I guess, was aligned with X-Pac at this time. He tries to run in and help X-Pac. Uh, Jericho lets the walls of Jericho go to knock Credible off of the apron. Then hits a great bridging dragon suplex, but uh, X-Pac kicks out. You have Just Incredible and X-Pac. Remember, no DQs. It's a four-way match. They team up on Benoit. Jericho hits a running bulldog and a lion salt on Eddie Guerrero, but X-Pac breaks it up. X-Pac hits Jericho in the nuts, hits the X-Factor. Benoit breaks that up. Benoit puts him in the crossface, and then he hits a back suplex and a diving headbutt on Eddie Guerrero. X-Pac breaks up that pin, but then Jericho rolls him up with a rolling reverse cradle, and Jericho gets the pin and retains the title. 12 minutes and 18 seconds. Again, when you look at the roster of guys in this match, Eddie, Benoit, uh, X-Pac, Jericho, like the absolute caliber of worker in this match, you knew it was going to be good. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was just a technically really, really good match. There's just a lot of layers to this match, and that's what kind of makes it exciting for us to go back and rewatch dark side of the ring. I, I, I watched this one recently. They mentioned the, like the duality of Benoit's legacy versus Eddie's legacy and how intertwined they are, despite being remembered so differently. It's just a really weird kind of like moment in time to see these two guys who, again, great workers and just knowing where it ends up. It's always just weird to see them in the ring together. Cause one guy you can't really talk about the other guy is still regarded as just, you know, one of the best guys of all time. Also, the Crippler, probably not PC anymore. Probably not calling Chris Benoit that uh, uh, if he was still wrestling around today. But again, all the layers, you have the two faces working together. That's usually like a very heel move. The two heels working together, beat up the baby faces. But no, we have the two faces, Benoit and Eddie, working together against Jericho and X-Pac. X-Pac. I am just mispronouncing everything today. It's not just today, buddy. Eddie <laughs> yeah. subtly putting his, uh, Jericho's leg on the ropes while Benoit's trying to get the count was just perfect. That, yeah, but why are there rope breaks in a, in a four-way match? Because it, even though it's no DQ, the pin doesn't count because his foot's on the ropes. You can't pin a guy whose foot's on the rope. It, uh. It's like out of bounds in football. Okay. Yeah, I, okay. I I agree with Angelo here. I, I think that, that that does make sense. Now, what but is, it's it's one thing like 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 you can't pin a guy whose foot is on the ropes. But like on, on the flip side, if you have a guy in the crippler crossface and he gets his hand on the ropes, you can't be disqualified for like you know ignoring the five count. Or there's probably not even going to be a five count. You know what I mean? Yeah, but I, but I feel like either there should be a five count or you should be able to pin them on the ropes. That's just that's the referee in me. I'm a rules guy. I don't know. I, I think it makes sense because when you're talking about like a rope break for a submission, that leads to a DQ. Whereas like if you're still laying on top of the guy and his foot's on the ropes while you're trying to pin him, but, you're not getting but here's DQ'd. The thing. Why is it a DQ? It's because the guy is now out of bounds. Yeah. 
So why can't so, and then you can't pin him because he's out of bounds. I, I just think like I don't know. It's like it's a rule for like like for instance, you know, it's it's the, on the flip side of it. You know, you can get in trouble in a regular wrestling match if you try to pin a guy and you put your own feet on the ropes, right? You right. get the extra leverage. Uh, but you're probably not going to get in trouble for that in uh, like a, a no DQ match, right? Like, you right. know, the referees probably like can't break up the pin because it's it's not illegal because nothing's illegal, right? Right. But I don't know. I, I feel like it does make sense. Just because, like that, that is the same thing as kicking out. Essentially, there are the different okay. su- there are different subject sections of the rule book. There's different rules when it comes <laughs> to pins and submissions. Uh, That's why okay. they don't follow. The- they're the same kind of thing, but they're in different like areas. So that's why like, you have different rules for pins and different rules for submissions. Like I don't I don't know how to like really explain it, but it's one of those things where it's like. I just feel like it should be fine. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> I don't actually, I really don't care that much. I just love, like, it's one of those, like, weird kayfabe things that to me is, like, like, they never explain it. And could they, even if you asked? Like, no. I don't know. Yeah, like, I don't know what the actual, like, official, like, if there was actually, like, a professional wrestling rule book, you know, and you could, like. Yeah. like a Gene Serator of the WWE. Like you can you can go through the MLB rule book and find out what the official definition of a balk is. But like there's no professional wrestling rule book to like like leaf through and determine why does it count here but not in a no DQ match, right? Yeah. I don't know how, I don't even know if there was one, what that section of it would look like. But <laughs> I don't I just feel like that's how it should be, you know? <laughs> yeah. It just like makes sense to me just from I don't know, having watch wrestling like almost every day for the last you know 15 years because i am mentally ill i think <laughs> so i'm thinking about it more because now i can't stop thinking about it i think that with the with a pin you're getting your foot on the rope is equivalent to getting your shoulder up but yeah. when you're in a submission and you're grabbing the ropes that's not you breaking the hold that's you looking for an out yeah and like like for instance in ring of honor when they do the pure rules they have you get three rope breaks on submissions, and then when you exhaust the rope breaks, you can't use the ropes to get out of it. Huh. It's like a referee's discretion type of thing, I guess. Interesting. I, I I don't know. Like it depends on the different rule set or whatever. Anyway, going back to what was actually really exciting, Steph, uh, arguing of the semantics of a rope break. Uh, Eddie and Benoit that blow up. I kind of wish it was built up a little bit bigger and had it was a bigger moment in the match. It still was good to see as the story went on. Uh, the multiple walls also got a pop for me. Just seeing Jericho put guy after guy in the oh, walls. I love that spot. It was great. Um, and then you have uh, Eddie hitting a neck breaker when Benoit's in the crippler. Also a really cool spot. And then the pin. Like the pin's just out of nowhere. I love that kind of finish because you're never really expecting it. Because you nowadays you are always telegraphed when the roll-up is going to work. Here it was genuinely like, oh, the match is over. Stop. And I, I really appreciate it. A lot going on in this match. Good storytelling, good action. Very thorough in my enjoyment. Yeah. And plus, he uh, Jericho finished the match with my favorite roll-up in wrestling. That, like, rolling reverse cradle with the bridge, uh, which, um, like, the European clutch that, like, Zack Sabre Jr. does. <laughs> 
Yeah. And my favorite, my favorite roll up in wrestling. It, it, it rules. I love, I love the way it physically looks. It's really cool. So next up, we've got Stephanie McMahon and Trish, Trish Stratus. I can't, I'm pulling Angelo. I can't pronounce anything. Trish Stratus <laughs> in a women's match. Just this really shitty, trashy storyline from 2001. Uh, where you know Vince McMahon had to book himself to be messing around with the hottest lady in WWF, and it was just really, you know, really trashy. Um, they are throwing down tonight, and we backstage have a little vignette where Vince McMahon is talking to William Regal, who at this point was transitioning kind of into that like front office role. He was WWF commissioner at one point. I don't know if he was commissioner yet, but he was kind of that like you know office guy now on TV. And Vince is talking to him backstage. He says, "This match is was your idea to do Steph versus Trish because they're kind of feuding over Vince, kind of." And he says, "Regal, when the time is right, you'll know what to do." And then he <laughs> walks away. And then Regal's like nodding. And then when Vince gets out of frame, he starts going like, "Oh man, I have no idea what to do right now." <laughs> But then we flash over to WWF New York, and it's packed. Busta Rhymes is there, and uh, Jerry the King Lawler is very excited about that. And we get an interview with one of Jake's favorite guys. Test is there hanging out at WWF New York. They get a short interview with them because they would do this. They would always have, like, one guy there at WWF New York. <laughs> and they pick Test. Yeah, and they, this time it's Test. And uh, they interview him for a second. They ask him, like, what do you think is going to go on in this match? And he says, I hope they beat the hell out of each other. And we'll know once and for all who, and I quote, the biggest trash bag hoe in the <laughs> WWF is. Listen, the best, the, I think the best part about this segment was that King then said, can you believe Test just said that? <laughs> and, my, and in my notes, I said, yes. Yeah, and <laughs> Test to me here looks like a evil fusion between Triple H and Edge. And, oh no! I was gonna say Triple H and Kevin Nash. Oh, he totally does. Yeah, <laughs> that too. Totally he's, he's got that like longer face that that Nash does. Yeah, yeah. he said. He said, "Can you believe Tess just said that?" Yes, I can. As a matter of fact, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure, like in the history of the English language, 95 to 98 percent of like the total amount of times that the phrase trash bag hoe was said <laughs> by a human being occurred in WWF between 1998 and 2002. Yes, I, I would be willing to back that idea. Yeah. So we have Trish and uh, Steph. And, uh, you know, it's, it's really funny today watching Steph. You know, she pops up on WWF TV a lot, of, or WWE TV now. Uh, doing the corporate, like she's on some of the, like their bumper ads and stuff like that, you know, being the, the brand official or whatever, whatever, her, like brand manager or whatever her uh, like position is. And she's now this like, you know, pantsuit corporate brand speak person. And it's funny watching her do this now and then go back 20 years. And it's like, this is the stuff her own dad had her doing. Then. It's, you know, it, this is actually, a lot better than you might expect from a WWF match into a women's match in 2001, especially considering what this feud was. There's still a lot of like trashy, shitty catfight aspects to it, 
but it's more of an actual wrestling match for a lot of it than you might expect. And the crowd cared. Yeah. So they again, they there is a lot of the hair pulling and some of the trashy stuff, but like Def starts ripping Trish's clothes off and the crowd gets all excited. But again, it's it is more of a real wrestling match than you might figure it would be. Early on, they fight on the outside. Steph does a jumping clothesline off the barricade. Trish uh, whiplashes her off the top rope when they're getting back in. She hits her bulldog out of the corner, hits a DDT. Steph kicks out of both. She starts choking her in the corner on the turnbuckle, but Steph kind of flips her over and slams her off the top rope. Steph slams her into the announce table a bunch of times, grabs a uh, pitcher of water that was there for some reason, and like throws it all over her because you know you want the you want the wet t-shirt contest aspect to it for the uh, for the fans at the time. Steph then hits a power bomb. For two kind of, I've seen worse power bombs in my life than this one that Steph hit on Trish. She then pulls Trish's shorts off and starts spanking her, which gets a big pop from the crowd. They then do the uh, the double hair pull face bump spot that you would see in a lot of these women's matches back then. Regal runs out, and he's kind of confused who Vince wants to win <laughs> because on the one hand, there's Steph, who's his only daughter. And then there's Trish, who is his, you know, quote-unquote, very good friend that he may be booking himself in a romance angle with because he can. Um, and so what, what he does is he runs out, he takes out the referee, he then rolls Trish on top of Steph, but then he kind of gets second thoughts, and as the referee starts counting, he grabs Steph's leg and he puts it on the top rope. Or he puts it on the rope so the ref breaks up the pin. Trish gets really pissed off. She slaps Regal. So Regal comes back and just kills Trish with a swinging neckbreaker. And Steph gets the pin and wins the match. Stephanie McMahon beats Trish Stratus in 8 minutes and 30 seconds. Then right after this backstage, Regal runs into Vince McMahon and Vince is furious. He says, I thought you knew what I wanted. And he says, you know what? For that, tomorrow night, on Monday Night Raw, it is you and Stephanie McMahon versus myself and Trish Stratus in a mixed tag match. I'm surprised at the amount of wrestling that was in this match, just because of the time frame and what the feud was. I thought this was going to be a lot more degrading than what it was. Now you do have moments where it turns into that cat fight kind of, you know, era of WWE women's wrestling. But you saw, like, again, Dave, you mentioned that powerbomb spot. Which Trish literally pretty much did to herself. Like Trish went up <laughs> and power bombed herself using Stephanie. And I'm just and you just have to have an appreciation for Trish there and how great she was in the ring. Because like with Stephanie, it's funny because her and Shane have the same issue. None of their offense looks good, but they can yeah. sell like they can sell like their dad. Just over the top so flailing dad. incredible. <laughs> The interference, though, is confusing because, again, you have Regal kind of go wishy-washy and then ultimately play a role when he didn't really have to, I guess. I don't know. I just thought the interference here was definitely a little bit more confusing. Other than that, you know, hey, this was a pretty good women's match for the time. Once once again, to me, the highlight was something that I think – I think it was King that said it. I, I think he was talking about Vince when he said it, but he was like – it doesn't matter if it's an engagement wing, a wedding ring, or suffering. 
<laughs> That's a classic line. Yeah, right his, there. His, his, his marriage was a three ring circus. That's what it was. That's what it was. It was a three ring circus, an engagement wing, a wedding wing, and suffering. <laughs> like I, I, I had this as one of my preliminary marks, but I think I'm going to take it out. But like King, when he's not being horny and is just being funny, is great. The dynamic yeah. between King and Jr. is still one of the better like commentary combos when King is not being horny. Because, like, you have Jerry playing, like, that heel role well without going, like, too far into it. Like, yeah, without, he, without literally becoming a heel. <laughs> yeah. He's he's still, like, kind of adding something to the match that's informative, and he's not being, like, over the top. And then you have, of course, you have JR, who's just sudden outburst of vocals is always, like, something to listen to. Oh, God! Yeah, so... Yeah, I thought for the first half of the show, because again, we only get them up through the three stages of Hell Match. Uh, This is like as good as it gets with JR and King. Like, I thought it was a great JR and King performance. King, like, usually every single time there is a woman on screen, he is like just over the top distractingly horny. And I was surprised with how restrained he was during this match. Like, pleasantly yes, so. Yes, yes, exactly. So, I give him a lot of credit for this. And yeah, you mentioned Trish, uh, Ange. I, I, I thought it was conspicuous how, like, she took 100% of the actual bumps in this match. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, 100% of the actual bumps were by Trish. Because she was the one who was actually, you know... A wrestler and a, a, a pretty good one, but yeah, I mean, on this, especially on the scale graded against every other women's match at this time, surprisingly good, you know, surprisingly good. Uh, yeah, the regal stuff is a little a little weird, but it, it it makes sense when you view it through the lens of like this doesn't make sense because it doesn't make sense to regal. You know what I mean? Yeah, he doesn't he he doesn't like you don't understand what he's doing. Because he doesn't understand what he's doing. Because he doesn't know what Vince wants, you know? Mm-hmm. So when you look at it through that lens, it makes a little more sense that he's acting the way he is. You know what I mean? Yeah, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Not my, but, th- th- we'll get to it at the end. Yes. <laughs> so uh, next up, this is not the technical main event because it's not going on last, but it for all intents and purposes, is the main event of the show. It is the three stages of hell match. It is Stone Cold Steve Austin and Triple H, a classic feud, a real blood feud. And this is really Austin's last big match before, you know, his his heel turn at WrestleMania 17, his very ill-fated heel turn that in retrospect was a... uh, horrible freaking idea that was very very bad for the business of the wwf but austin is very 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 over tonight and three stages of hell match it is a best two out of three falls match but every fall is a different type of match you start out with a regular singles wrestling match then the second fall is a street fight and if necessary the third fall a steel cage match so Naturally, this means it's three matches in one. It takes a little while, so if you guys want, we can break it up and kind of discuss after all three falls, or I can just kind of blast through it. I like the all three falls idea. That's fine. 
So I'm just going to blast through it? No, I mean, like, after, no, stop, you, stop, after stop, you okay, fall. Okay, then we will do that. So, first match is a regular singles match. Again, Austin comes out, is super freaking over. The crowd loves him. Uh, and they, It's me. I'm crowd. <laughs> <laughs> and these two guys, they just start brawling from the opening bell. And it is, you know, kind of what you expect. It is your typical kind of stone cold singles match. It is kind of gritty, methodical, but it is hard hitting. It's good. It flows. Everything makes sense. Um, they start brawling from the opening bell. Austin is targeting the left arm, slams it into the ring post a bunch of times. Uh, Triple H teases the pedigree. They do a spot where early on where Triple H teases the pedigree, but Austin's been working over the left arm, so he can't, you know, get that arm up to like hook Triple H or hook Stone Cold Steve Austin's arm for the pedigree, and Austin gets out. Austin is on top for most of the first part of this match. He hits all his moves. He hits the Fez press. He hits the spine buster. He goes for his diving, like, axe handle off the top rope, but Triple H gets his foot up in the face. Uh, so he comes back, hits a couple swinging neck breakers, attacks, goes after the left knee for a while. He does the figure four leg lock. He's grabbing onto the top rope for uh, extra leverage while the referee, Earl Hebner, is turned around. He does this for, like, a half hour. Um but, and and then Austin eventually turns over the figure four to a big cheer from the crowd. Triple H gets to the bottom rope, then goes back to working over the left knee. Um, at one point, he puts him in like a leg lock, but then Austin just kicks him in the face a bunch of times with the other leg. He comes back, again, hits all, all five moves that Stone Cold Steve Austin did. He does them. Fez um, <laughs> press, fish drop, hits a lariat. Goes for the stunner. Triple H reverses it into a neck breaker. And then Triple H goes up, tries to do a move off the top rope. But Austin catches him out of midair with the kick. Stone Cold stunner. And Austin gets the pin. Stone Cold wins the first fall and wins the regular singles match. But, you know, like this whole match was kind of billed as like, well, in the regular wrestling match, Triple H has the advantage. In the street fight, uh, Stone Cold has the advantage. So I thought it was like very, like I don't want to say very clear that he was going to win, but I, if you know anything about wrestling, you're kind of like, oh well, they're going to like put put triple or uh, put Stone Cold over in the regular match, and then Stone Cold will get it back, and then whoever wins the cage matches, you know, is the winner then. But I thought that part was kind of predictable. But I mean, just just as a standalone match, I thought it was really good. Yeah. Yeah, I Personally. mean, it's a great match, even though there's not a lot of, like, move variety. Mostly because at this point, you know, Austin can't really do a lot in the ring. He's got his punches, he's got his thes press, he's got stomp in the mud hole, he's got the mid kick, and then he's got the stunner. And it's a testament to Austin for how over he was during this time that the crowd still loves him and will pop on those moves. Like, who else gets a pop on a Thez press? Who else gets a pop when he's uh, they're stopping a guy in the corner? Not a lot of guys get that. So, you know, I think in that aspect, it helps with the story too because it's just a flat-out, no-nonsense brawl. Both these guys hate each other. You have Triple H kind of like targeting the knee. You have Stone Cold, you know, targeting the arm. So you have both guys are working on each other over. And then, at, like the finish, you got uh, Triple H go to the top rope, which he's not really comfortable with, taking it 
shot to the gut, getting hit with the stunner. I mean, it's a great, great match on itself. Like, it, for what was it, like 15 minutes this part? Very good. Uh, I, I believe it was about 12 to 13 minutes. 12, 13. The first fall. Um, what did Meltzer have it at? He timed the, the individual ma- uh, match. Yeah, 12 minutes and 20 seconds. Yeah, entertaining for entertaining for a match that didn't have a lot of moves. Yeah. I mean, again, I, I agree with you, Angelo, in that if this was just a standalone match, it would have been one of the best matches of the night, and there were some good matches <laughs> on this card. The thing about Austin was it was never about the move set. Right. Because, yeah, he only had five moves, really. But it was the fact that all five of those moves, he made them look real, and he brought an intensity to everything that he did that made you know that made the crowd react to it. Like his punches. Like he's just getting pops for his punches. Yeah. And stomping the mud hole and yeah, like it's it's ridiculous. Everything that he does makes sense for him and his character, and everything he does looks like he's really beating the shit out of the other guy. And that was the great thing about Austin was he brought the intensity and everything he did looked like he was really beating the shit out of the other guy. But it was also really safe. You know what I mean? Like, that was the brilliance of Austin as a worker in this period when, you know, earlier in his career, he was considered this great technical worker. And then, you know, he had some injuries and he was kind of not the same athletically. So he changed into being this brawler and just became one of the best brawling wrestlers ever. You know, like, that's just the greatness of him as a worker. And, it is completely on display in this match. I mean, I thought it was a great performance from him. Next up, Street Fights. So the first, like, seven, eight minutes of this Street Fight <laughs> is literally just Austin beating the dog shit out of Triple H, just uninterrupted. Um, they go straight into it. Austin suplexes him on the ramp a couple of times. They go over to the announce table Austin smashes him with a uh, one of the monitors from the announce table. Uh, they fight into the crowd. They're fighting on the stairs. Austin throws a bunch of chairs and uh, the ring bell into the ring. Doesn't use it yet, but that'll factor in later on. Just, again, beats the shit out of Triple H for like a long time. Uh, Triple H ends up pulling out from underneath the ring a two by four wrapped in barbed wire gets Austin in the face with it. Austin blades at this point and he starts bleeding everywhere. Uh, Triple H is beating him up on the announce table, but then Austin backdrops him through the Spanish announce table to get, gets a huge pop. And then Austin also hits him in the head with a beer can and the beer can just explodes everywhere, which looks <laughs> awesome. They get back in the ring. Uh, Triple H picks up the ring bell, which uh, Austin had previously thrown into the ring, kills him with it. That's our first near fall of the match was the ring bell, uh, like maybe 12 minutes into the, or 10, 12 minutes into the street fight. We get our first near fall. He hits a neck breaker onto the chair. He hits a back suplex onto the chair. Uh, Austin backdrops him out of the ring hits him with a chair, hits him in the head with the ring steps. At that point, I think, is when Triple H also blades. So they're both bleeding over. They're now both bleeding everywhere. Triple H brings out the sledgehammer. Austin counters it. He goes for the stunner, but then Triple H hits him in the face with the sledgehammer, hits the pedigree, and Triple H gets the pin and wins the second fall, wins the street fight 
in about 15 minutes. Okay, we, there's something we need to talk about, all right? I, are you guys ready to have this conversation? I do not know where you're going with this, but I'm excited. I'm intrigued. The idea of using barbed wire-covered 2x4s is dumb. Explain. Like, why, Like, okay, why is there a 2x4 with barbed wire under the ring? I mean... <laughs> the, the 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 obvious answer is that like Triple H wanted to use it in the match, so he had one made or made it himself, and was like, "I'm just going to stash this under the ring to you know pull out during the match because I want okay. to use it as a weapon in the match." Right. But it's always funnier when you're imagining like, "Yeah, they just kind of use what's already there," and <laughs> yeah, just exactly. for some reason, this was under the ring. But for, <laughs> like, that theory like, falls like apart a, though. You always because you always see like. A two by four with barbed wire in every hardcore match, or or a bag of thumbtacks. Like, why is no, the thumbtacks? Thumbtacks make sense. You're posting things up on a bulletin board. Yeah, where is the a, bulletin board? In the back. In the back. Well, then why would you? Why, if it's in the back, why are you keeping it under the ring? It's storage. You're telling me there's nowhere else you can store that? Hey, I don't know what their storage situation's like. You store things wherever you can. It's that a, is a soundbite like if I've ever heard one. I don't know what their storage situation is. It's a 15,000-seat arena. I think, <laughs> can, I think they have a closet, Angelo. You can, you can just put it under some dude's seat. Like you can How do you know that Orange Cassidy isn't already just sitting in the closet <laughs> occupying space? Now you have to find a place for the thumbtacks because now you can't have the thumbtacks in there. Orange Cassidy maybe, is in the bathroom, Angelo. Maybe you can ask him to hold the thumbtacks. <laughs> I'm sure you can just place him in his hands, and he'll be like, "All right, that's that's fine. Problem solved. Two birds." Right. With this one has smell. this has completely devolved. Uh, anyway, I, great hardcore match. I thought I loved the near fall with the ring bell. Uh, I love I love ring bell spots because it always sounds like chef's kiss. It's just oh man, I, it's I always was, a great sound. I was also had that in my notes. I love whenever the ring bell's used because it's just. It's something that doesn't happen often, so when it does happen, it really feels special. It gets you that great ding. I love that. Um, yeah, I just I thought it was a, again just like if this as a standalone, I thought it was a good hardcore match. I don't know if they like. All right, all right. This is going to sound dumb, and David might make fun of me, but to this day, in my mind, the greatest wrestling match of all time is a two out of three falls match. It's it's Omega Okada four. All right. But one of the great things about that was how well they sold everything that had happened previously with every single fall. And, like, they don't really do that here. It's like, all right, first match is done. Let's start the second one. Yeah. And then just rush into it. Correct which me. is fine. Like, I don't care. But that's, like, what keeps it from being, like, a six-and-a-half-star classic to me. Correct me if I'm wrong, but this was Earl Hebner, right? I just want to make sure I have my yes. reps right. I wasn't paying attention. Earl. Okay. Uh I also thought like his near falls were always pretty transparent and also got to the point where like he kind of counted the third count, but they still got the shoulder up and the match kept going because, you know, the match was supposed to end there. Right. I kind of thought that too. This is the part of the match, uh, the full thing that kind of lost me for a little bit. Not because it's like necessarily bad, but I don't know. It just was like a little bit too slow to hold my interest. And it makes sense because again, it's, it is a brawl. You do have Stone Cold Steve Austin literally beating the tar out of Triple H for that first half of the match. This is where both guys blade. 
And until the very end where you start to get like the ring bell shot, um, the, uh, the backdrop onto the table, which I did pop for, like that was easily the highlight of the section. And then you also get, uh, you know, the stairs to Triple H. It had some cool moments, but I feel like the, the build up to those moments took a little bit too long. You see, I disagree. I feel like this is a, this is a match that the reason it worked was because it feels like they have a level of intensity that maintains throughout. It is a, a bloody, violent, just blood feud all the way through. And they are just beating the hell out of each other with zero relent until one of the two guys can just go no longer. And it just maintains this kind of fever pitch of these guys are just trying to kill each other for, you know, 40 straight minutes. And I don't feel like there's really a let up. I feel like they just kind of keep going this whole time. And that's why this match really works for me. It really does feel very, like very realistic in the fact that it looks like two guys who have, like despise each other trying to kill each other just straight through. And that's why this match really works for me. I don't feel like there's really a let-up. I feel like it kind of hits this level of intensity early, and then they just keep going. It's an odd spot for me because I don't necessarily disagree with anything that you're saying. I think this is just, for me, an area where the story that's told is good. I just kind of wish there was a little bit more pop and circumstance to it, which, you know, that's on me. That's on me. Uh Again, there were moments here that were cool, but for me, it did take a little bit longer. I thought the next match did a better job at, you know, making me entertain throughout the entire section. Yeah. I just, I don't think this match is about the pop and circumstance. I think this match is about two big beefy dudes wanting to kill each other and then doing so. Yeah, who hate each other. Yeah, these are just two guys who hate each other and they are trying to end the other guy. Like, that's what it's about. It's a nasty brawl. And that's what it's supposed to be. We go to the third fall and we lower down the steel cage. And this is like one of the quickest cage lowerings I've ever seen. They motor that some bitch down. <laughs> um, Austin is just laying there in the corner. He hasn't even stood up yet after getting pinned and hit with the hammer and hit with the pedigree. So Triple H then has to pick him up and start throwing him and slamming him around the cage. They close the or they they lower the cage while they still have the barbed wire two by four and the chairs in the ring. So they're still use, using them during the steel cage portion of the match. Um, they're continuing to kill each other. Uh, they're all slamming each other with the barbed wire and the chairs. They they use them both. Both guys use the barbed wire uh, bat. Both guys use the chairs. Both guys are slamming each other off the cage. Uh, Triple H DDTs him onto a chair. He tries to escape the cage. They fight on the top rope for a little while, and then Triple H slams his face into the cage, and Austin crotches himself on the top rope. Uh, Triple H hits a pedigree, but Austin kicks out to a huge pop. Uh, Triple H smashes him with a chair, goes for a second pedigree, but Austin gets out of it, hits the Stone Cold Stunner, but can't quite get over and cover in time, and Triple H kicks out. Finish of the match comes right after this. 
they uh, Austin grabs the barbed wire two by four. Triple H grabs the sledgehammer, which is still in the ring. They hit each other with these weapons at the same time. They both kind of they they sell like they both knock each other out. Austin falls. Triple H falls. Triple H lands on top of Austin. And winds up getting the three count while he's lying unconscious on top of Stone Cold Steve Austin. Triple H wins the three stages of hell match. Official time for the whole thing. 39 minutes and 26 seconds. They raise the cage as Triple H is still lying dead on top of Austin. And then, I don't know if you guys saw this, uh, somebody throws a beer can. Someone from the crowd throws a beer can into the ring. And hits Austin as he's lying, like hits Austin in the head as he's lying underneath Triple H. And then you see Austin get hit with the beer can and like push Triple H off him and like roll away. Uh, eventually, after this, they get to their feet. And then Austin hits a Stone Cold Stunner on Triple H. And Austin's music plays. And that's the end. Uh, just bloody, intense, war of attrition type of match hot as hell crowd i loved the whole thing that ending the ending alone is just chef's kiss like it is just so good like you had been saying throughout this entire thing david the match itself is about two big dudes who can't stand each other they just want to beat the brakes off the other guy and having that kind of ending is perfect because i don't think you actually like the this is why Current WWE. I'm going to rail against some current WWE. Current WWE sucks. They're always quick to go to some fluky finish where it's either both guys lose or it's a double count out or like the one guy doesn't lose clean. This is just so good because at the end of the match, they both hit each other right in the head. They both would fall out. No one's moving for three seconds. It just so happened that Triple H landed on Austin. It could have happened the other way. Austin could have landed on Triple H. It just so happened. Triple H landed on Austin, and that's how the match ends. Just a perfect cherry on top. Uh, both guys kicking out of the other one's finisher. Great moments. That's how, that's what you do with these kind of matches. You have that false finish. It's like, oh, they've, this is their second one they've that they eaten, and they're still kicking out. They still have fight left. It's great. And then you have the steel cage element where, again, you're just throwing each other against the cage. You have weapons in there. They're using the weapons. Very, very fun part here. This got me like back involved after the middle fall. Uh, you know, we're ignoring we're ignoring something, guys, and we need to talk about it again. The way they use sledgehammers is dumb. With the hand covering it? Yes. Yes. It's the same Yes. It's the same yes. it's the same it's the same principle as like having like a roll of quarters in your hand when you're going to punch somebody. And yes, it's dumb in context, but that doesn't mean it wouldn't still hurt. Angelo, if you want, if you had a sledgehammer and your goal was, I'm, I want to hurt this person, how would you use it? I would not have my hand over it. Yes. Yep. Sure. They never use the end, the part of the hammer you're supposed to use. Yes. I mean, that is the one thing about this. <laughs> it's one of those things that like... In kayfabe, right, like, Triple H is trying to murder Stone Cold Steve Austin with a hammer. (laughs) And, like, in real life, if you were holding a sledgehammer and you were trying to hit a guy with it and hurt him, you would not hit a guy with a hammer that way. (laughs) But 
then you have to take a step back and realize like there's not really a way to gimmick a sledgehammer you know what i mean <laughs> like that's legitimately a real sledgehammer yeah. so in real life you know paul levesque isn't trying to kill uh steve williams with a sledgehammer <laughs> So this is the way to use it safely is you have to put your hand over it and kind of go like, Ugh. you know, like that's the, like, that's the way that you do it in real life. So you can like, be like I'm using the sledgehammer, but I'm also, you know, not going to give this guy severe brain damage in real while, life. And while, that is, life. while that is objectively true, I'm the kayfabe guy. So I'm going to shit on it. Yeah. It's just <laughs> one of those things where like, Maybe in retrospect, if like that's the only way you can use a weapon in pro wrestling, is like the only yeah. Maybe you should have in retrospect found a different weapon to use. But <laughs> to like, be like your weapon. At a certain point, we're way too far gone <laughs> to like like yeah. Maybe maybe twenty three years ago, Triple H should have cho- chosen something different from a sledgehammer. But now it is it's been his thing for decades. Right. It's so, like it's like. like like guitars. Like the guitar shot always looks good. Yes. Always. Yeah. And you Even can, if it's Jeff Jarrett. Yeah. And you can and you can actually like gimmick the guitar so yes. you can break it over a guy's head and it doesn't kill him. Right. You know? But it also Or, or like a baseball bat. You could gimmick but, those. Yeah. But you can like actually swing the guitar, like like use it in the way like okay, if I had a if I was holding a guitar in my hands and I saw a dude who I just wanted to kill with it, I would Swing it, I would swing it at his head the exact same way that Jeff Jarrett does to a guy that he's trying to kill in wrestling match. You know? So it actually looks realistic. And then you have the, you know, the cool looking guitar explosion over the guy's head. That's great. <laughs> I appreciate the like, sledge I appreciate the sledgehammer though, because it was like a new weapon that really wasn't introduced before I guess the late nineties. Like that, no one used a sledgehammer. I, I can't remember an instance of anyone using a sledgehammer before, you know, Triple H brought it around. Now I could be wrong, but it's also like great to add that prop in there. I don't know. I, I appreciate it because it go, like it, it. You always see steel chairs. One of the first things that come out is like also a fire extinguisher, uh, trash cans, the two by four with barbed wire. What, David? What would be the weapon that you would use that's not a current? like popular weapon as your go-to mm. Mm. see that's a really good question my first answer is like uh rock band drum set <laughs> <laughs> i would i would like you know uh put the guy's head on the little rock band drums and i would hit i would start like drumming on him and i would hit the guy in the head with drumsticks i think i'm going with a surge protector a surge protector. Interesting. You got the whip of the cord. You have the hardness of the protector itself. I mean, you got a lot of options there. You can have a little choke out. I don't know. I feel like that's a good um, one. I think I'm going with like a PlayStation 2 controller because it has the cord. And also they all break after one use anyway, so. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Something, something like that. I don't know. Or like a uh, like a clipboard. Ooh, I like the clipboard. A clipboard. A, a, the book, like, I actually, yeah. I appreciated uh, last one. We had Chris Canyon on doing the uh, Diamond Dallas page stick. I actually like the book. I think the book's a fun one, too. How about, has anyone ever used a blender? Um. I feel like you could, I feel like you could, because, again, you have the cord. And I feel like you could gimmick it, so you could, like, smash, like, the glass part over a guy's oh, head. Oh, yeah. You know? Ooh. You could use a gimmicked blender. 
We do. I bet you that they they did use one in like one of these like battle royals or something ridiculous. Yeah, I'm sure there was like you know some some like goofy like hardcore match in ECW where like yeah New yeah. Jack New Jack had a blender in the shopping cart that he brought to the ring and then he hit it out with a blender. You know, I'm thinking about it now. You totally could have a gimmick where you're a camera guy and the camera's your weapon. Yeah, sure. like you're the yeah. camera guy wrestler. I think that's where the brand, where Brandon Cutler's gimmick is heading right now in AEW, honestly, and I'm there for it. Yeah, I could, I could hit a guy with a camera. I could do that. I mean, you need to like, you know, the, the camera. It's a very expensive piece of equipment, so I need to get like a fake camera so I don't, you know, break a two thousand dollar, you know, video camera every time I'm out there. But, but that's Fast an and idea. the Furious break like thousands of cars. That's true. What if I just? ran over people with my car <laughs> are you like Trent's mom yeah i could just run matt, over people with my car matt hardy i think that's an idea you know a ddt sanshiro takagi does like rides a bicycle over people uh, <laughs> like i'm just take, i'm just taking that to the next level i'm riding my car over people i think that'll work um, I, I think that's actually called murder so well in a no dq match we've talked about this many times yeah. why don't you just kill the guy why don't you just shoot him with a gun? We've talked about this many times. <laughs> What's there stopping me from running a guy over with my jet, with my Jeep Grand Cherokee? Morals, <laughs> but you know, you do you, buddy. <laughs> but yeah, per- perfect ending to this match with a double pit to the head and fall over pin. Yeah, I loved this match, and again, I, I loved the finish of the match, as you were saying, because it is it is a way to establish Triple H as being on that Austin level um, without, like, really, you know, putting him over Austin. Like, he gets the win, but it was because both guys beat each other so badly that both of them basically gave out at the same time. And and Triple H, you know, happened to land on top of Austin, as, as Ange said, it could have just as easily been the other way around, right? Austin could have landed on top of Triple H. It was luck that Triple H landed on him and got the pin. But I think it's such a great way to establish Triple H as being on his level. Yeah, it might have been a little bit of luck that he landed on top of him, but they both took each other to the absolute limit and beat each other until neither man could go on. (laughs) And... With this match being this bloody, brutal, violent war of attrition, I thought it was a fantastic ending. And again, a great way to establish Triple H as being on Austin's level, like being right there with him. And because, I mean, Austin at the time, for the last few years, is the highest power level man in WWF. That is very Bar true. None. He's the highest power level guy. Bar none. And, and Triple H at this time, still relatively young as a, as a main eventer, you know what I mean? He had been a guy, but I, this is still relatively early on in his run as like one of the main event guys in WWE. So I think this is, this is great. I, I think it's a great finish. And I loved this match. After this incredibly hot, just brutal match, we still have three more matches to go on the show. And Jerry the King Lawler, after announcing these four first four matches, 
has to pull up and leave the announce desk because he's wrestling in the next match. He is being replaced on commentary by none other than one of our favorite boys in the world, Taz. AEW preview here with Taz and JR. Yes, true. Uh, it is, you know, Italian excellence here from, from Taz. At this point, I mean, he's already, I think he was kind of physically beaten down as a wrestler. You're seeing him really, uh, like, this is kind of the start of him transitioning into commentary. I think this had to have been one of the first times that he ever actually, like, really did commentary on a show. And, like, he's already good at it. You know, I mean, the guy is, like, just, you know, a great talker and such a natural on commentary. I, I really like listening to him. Um, I will say the chemistry wasn't there between him and JR. Yeah, I mean, it's it's still very early, but I, I like listening. To, I've always liked Taz as an announcer, and I thought he himself was was already pretty good at this point. Um, so next up, we are following this just bloody classic with Jerry the King Waller is wrestling Stevie Richards. Steven. Mm-hmm. And Steven Richards. Steven Richards of Right to Censor at the time, a classic, classic faction, Right to Censor. And the story of this match is uh, they are fighting over, I believe, uh, Jerry the King Lawler and I think they were married at the time. The cat, who uh, her whole deal was she just took her clothes off all the time. And right to censor did not like that because they wanted to censor everything. So the idea is they are basically fighting over the cat. If Steven Richards wins, she has to join right to censor and presumably be censored for all time. And if Jerry the King Lawler wins, she will strip live on TV. And uh, when reading Dave Meltzer's report on this uh, match and on the show, he uh, made a really good point in saying that they gave away the results at the very, very beginning of the show, when they put up the uh, like the parental advisory in the corner, and it says like you know like TV fourteen, and they have like the the letters for like like N for nudity, like D for drug use, you know shit like that, and there was no N for nudity in the parental warnings, implying that no one was getting nude tonight, and that means <laughs> Stephen Richards is going to win, which I thought was actually a really good point when you think about it. Um, it was a very good catch by uh, Dave Meltzer twenty years ago. So respect to Dave on that one. Jesus, <laughs> like, listen, nobody was actually going to strip naked, regardless. Like, there was always a get, like, like the. <laughs> it was I'm just all saying. Good. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I thought that was a funny catch. You know uh, how I feel they about were, Dave Meltzer, David. They were promising that there would be live nudity if Jerry the King Lawler won this match. Um, so yeah, we follow this bloody cl- this this bloody classic with. A pretty just kind of average to below average wrestling match. Uh, the cat accompanies the cat who at certain angles is really looking very Carmela Soprano tonight. Um, she is accompanying Jerry, the King Lawler out. And we have the women's champion Ivory, who is feuding with cat uh, accompanying Steven Richards. We have cat and Ivory fighting on the outside early in this match. They're tussling. Um, while the referees turn around, uh, Stevie Richards gets the advantage. He slams King into the post, takes over, beats him down for a while. 
very loud from the crowd, we want puppies chants, which I'm sure, uh, you know, Jerry King Lawler, while he's selling in the rig, probably smiling on the inside that he was able to get puppies that over with the crowd while on commentary. So little, uh, you know, victory lap for him there. Uh, Ivory distracts the referee while Stevie tries to use a chair. King turns it around, hits him in the nuts, hits him with two DDTs. He has Stevie Richards pinned, but Ivory again distracts the referee. Uh, Stevie takes a swing at him with the women's belt, misses. Ivory gets in the ring. King body slams her. Stevie grabs the belt, swings at him again, misses for a second time. Belt ends up in the hands of the cat. She then tries to take a swing and hit Stevie Richards with the belt, but she misses, accidentally hits King, knocks Jerry the King Lawler out, and Stephen Richards gets the pin, wins the match, wins a cat for right to censor in five minutes, 31 seconds. Ladies and gentlemen, there will be no nudity tonight. The cat is in absolute grief. And then the rest of right to censor immediately run out and they literally throw her in a sack and carry her off backstage. Like, like Val Venus literally just like throws her over her, throws her over his shoulder. And then they just walk off with her as a hostage. You know, David, you, you did a great job explaining that. You you really captured the essence of what this match was about. Um, all right, so my I notes do. say um, don't care because it followed the three stages of hell match. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's it's really <laughs> what it existed to be. I know was kind of that you know you're on the edge of your seat for 45 minutes on the three stages of hell match. It's, it's, it's a great match. It's the piss break match afterwards, all right? Absolutely. Like, you need to have a little piss break. You might be interested in the tables match that's up next. You're definitely there. You want to see Rock and Angle. So maybe you can go take your time for a little bit and, you know, go go take a piss and, and maybe buy another beer before you go back to your seat and watch the thing that you care about. And plus, you're actively being chased out of your seat anyway by the the, bla- the blaring <laughs> sirens that Right to Censor God, off. please turn that off. <laughs> uh, I will say, though, Right to Censor is like a perfect comedy gimmick. Just the idea of it is inherently funny to me. Now, the match itself, eh, you know, mileage may vary with the storyline, but I don't know. I, I appreciate the gimmick. I think it's funny. Uh... It definitely wouldn't have gotten over, but I feel like you sometimes just need like that comedy gimmick, like 3MB, that it's it's sort of over, sort of not. There's some kind of appreciation for it, but it's never going to get pushed up the card. I feel like there's always a place for that like on a wrestling show because you kind of need a jobber. And you need a guy that's willing to do the job. You need another guy that's going to make uh, other guys look good, and having a jobber faction is a cheap, easy way to do that. Obviously, you know, depending on who the guys are. How long that lasts is up to anybody. But I also feel like good ones, if it's a decent gimmick, not saying like right to censor was a decent gimmick or I already forget the retribution was a decent gimmick. Like you need a kind of like faction like that that puts guys over in a productive way. I also I'm always impressed by King's ability to work a match once we get into the 2000s because like I just feel like he's already old as shit here and he's still putting together like it's not a bad match. It's passable when you consider everything going on. You just you just said that you liked the retribution gimmick, and then I tuned out everything else that you said. I didn't. I said I did I not like, like the retribution. I oh, said you, okay. I said I like you need, you need a jobber faction that puts guys over in a meaningful way, somewhat. 
I don't, I don't know. I don't necessarily like the jobber faction concept because the, the whole idea of a faction is like a bunch of guys team up because, you know, stronger together and whatnot. You know, we can, we can have more success when we have each other's backs than when we're fighting alone. And then when you still, when you form up you and all your boys and you're still getting your ass kicked, then you kind of look like even bigger losers than when you started in my opinion. So nah. that's just me. I don't know. But yeah, I like whenever you guys, uh, you know, debate and talk about these kinds of things. I'm still thinking about the three stages of hell match. So well, <laughs> it was good. You know, it was J- damn good. Jake likes it. Cause he gets to play the video games. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Are you playing God of War right now? Oh uh, no, I'm actually I'm just I'm just playing a little bit of Madden. I don't play hard stuff whenever we record. I, this That's is how fair. I keep my brain engaged. You know, I'm just playing a little bit of Madden. Okay, okay, okay. You got that Ultimate Team going right now? Heck yeah, you know how it is. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> Let's get to something that I can actually talk about. Yes. Next up, tag team title triple threat table match. That's I I just hit that alliteration. Sex tuple right there, baby. Applaud for me. The Dudley boys defending their World Tag Team Championships against uh, a couple great tag teams. Edge and Christian and the Brothers of Destruction, The Undertaker and Kane. A lot of star power in this match. And we have a Brothers of Destruction promo right before this. And I just thought this promo was hilarious because even in 2001, Biker Taker is talking about how the big dogs run the yard. He also, looks, he also looks a lot like Roman Reigns here. Like, yeah. with, the, with the goatee and the long hair. Yeah. Like, everyone, every, they're in his yard. And the big dogs run the yard tonight. Also, before this match starts, we get a, a little update. That China's book, If They Only Knew, is number two on the New York Times bestseller list. Oh, good for China. Yeah, so good for China. Congratulations to her. Anyway, keep rolling, 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 rolling. <laughs> Biker Taker and Kane come out first. Biker Taker gets a big pop as the, he rolls out on his hog. And big shout out to Edge and Christian. Both of these beautiful Canadian boys, still 20 years later, putting on good matches on regular TV. 20 years later after this, after both suffering like severe injuries that caused them to have to retire for years. <laughs> Like, now Christian just wrestles on AEW all the time, and all his matches are just really good. Yeah. Like, yeah. And then, like, all of Edge's matches the last year or two have all been really good. And it's just like, I don't know how you do that. It's like, they're, you're in your late 40s, and you, like, almost died, you know? Like, Multiple times. You know? But, yeah, now, now all Christian's just out here having, like, awesome matches with, like, Will Hobbs, you know? <laughs> just... Like, like nothing ever, like he wasn't retired for 10 years. It's awesome. Um, Edge and Christian come out second. They don't want to get in the ring with Kane and Taker. They're a little bit scared. They're staying up on the ramp and they get like trapped in between the Brothers of Destruction and the Dudley boys when the Dudleys come out. So they sort of duck out of the way and then the two other teams start fighting and everybody starts brawling. Um, I thought we had a, a nice little foreshadowing to one of my favorite moments of all time in wrestling when you have Taz on commentary and you see Bubba Ray Dudley in the corner getting his balls destroyed and him screaming because it was like a foreshadowing to my favorite moment of all time in <laughs> DNA. Taz! 
Taz, my balls. I know, I saw it. <laughs> my favorite moment in the history. I right? kept waiting for uh, Bubba Ray to say my balls. My, my balls. balls. I know, I saw it. <laughs> no one sold a ball shot like Bubba Ray. Listen, no. and that was, and, and that, that reared its head again after, was it Nia Jax that was like my vag or something yeah. like that? No, my, my hole. My hole. My hole. That's what it was. <laughs> yeah. I think it was Shelly Martinez in TNA was my vag. That's what it was. Yeah, yeah. 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 I, I knew one of those was that. Yeah. Uh, it was like the Holy Trinity, my balls, my vag, and my hole. <laughs> um, Edge and Christian in the ring, they uh, go for a concerto on Bubba Ray, but Bubba ducks. He wheelbarrows uh, Edge into a chair, and then, um, or he, like, takes uh, Christian, who's holding the chair, and then wheelbarrows him chair first into Edge. They then they, they then hit the what's up headbutt, and at, at the time, 2001, that was, like, a super current reference, so the crowd was going crazy for the what's up. They loved it. Um... Christian comes back, hits the unprettier. It's these the Dudleys and the Edge and Christian going back and forth. It's really good. And then Kane and Taker come back in and then just lay waste to everybody. And then the other four all then team up to take the Brothers of Destruction out again. Um, every time Kane and Taker are involved in this match, they're just beating the hell out of everybody. Taker uh, goes for a... I, I liked a couple of the um, the kind of near tape, like near fall table spots that they do, where it's like someone's about to go through a table, but then they like they they get it out of the way at the last second. Uh, they have a spot where Taker goes for a choke slam on Edge. He's about to choke slam through the table as he gets Edge up into the air. Devon Dudley comes out of nowhere and chop blocks Taker at the last second. And then they do another spot where Edge and Christian are about to suplex Taker through the table. They actually execute the suplex, but at the last second, Kane actually grabs the table and pulls the table out of the way, which I also really like that spot. Um, the, uh, Taker and Kane hand out a double choke slam to Edge and Christian. Then they hand another one out to the Dudley boys. They're about to powerbomb Edge and Christian through each through a table, um, but as they have them up in the air, the team of Rikishi and Haku run out from backstage. They attack the Brothers of Destruction. They break it up. They take the Brothers of Destruction out. And then you get Edge and Christian versus the Dudley Boys. Um, you get a spot at the end here where Edge tries to spear Bubba Ray Dudley through a table, which is set up in the corner. Bubba dodges. Edge like kind of bounces off the table, but doesn't go through it. So then they set up I don't know if that was like tended to, he was like supposed to go through the table or not. It was a little weird. I would just kind of bounced off it. It didn't break. And then afterwards they set up the greatest tag team finisher of all time. 3d on Christian mm. through the table. It never gets old. It's always a thing of beauty. And the Dudley boys retain the belts in the tables match 12 minutes and six seconds. I thought it was pretty fun. Yeah. Yeah, this was this was definitely just a setup uh, to get the crowd back into it. That's yeah. it. That, get them back into it. Don't don't rile them up too much. It's like a second opener, basically. Grab their attention. The sound of the table cracking is what's going to get them back into it. Get let them know that something's about to come. But yeah, it's, it was kind of like 
this is a tune-up for you guys. Also, you get the weird run-out, too, with Haku and Rikishi. Haku sporting a hell of an afro. Yes. Uh, but, yeah, it was just like, you know, it's fine. It was a tables match with the Dudleys, Edge, and Christian, and the Brothers of Destruction. The Undertaker's ring gear, though, did not like. Looked real dumb. I mean, this is this is how he dressed. I mean... Did did biker taker ever dress any other way? He did he wear like a uh, just like an undershirt and like jeans or like black jeans or his black ring pants. I thought I remember ah, that his yeah, match against Cena. This is like some kind of latex, not jumpsuit, but like full body thing. It's almost like a male romper. Listen, okay, I thought listen. I thought romp hymns were going to be a thing a couple years ago, and I was open to the concept. I tried to buy one. Did you really? What do you mean tried to buy one? Did you not succeed in buying it? Um, yeah, so it was a whole thing. Like, I always wear dumb stuff for, like, Christmas and uh, Fourth of July. So, like, I went to Target to, like, see what they had. Um, and I, I wasn't a romp pin. It was, like, a girl's romper. But I put on a uh, women's extra large. And, um, you know, anatomically, men defer specifically in like one area that women's clothing don't account for. Mm-hmm. So therefore I could not wear it, but I tried. I was going to buy it if it had fit. It was really weird having to walk out of the changing room and like go to the attendant there and be like, here, this is what didn't fit. And it's literally just one romper. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even try to explain that when I just left. Yeah. <laughs> you just give them a nod. They know. They know. It's fine. We've all, we've all been there, but yeah, I, I can't I can't say that I really noticed the Undertaker's uh, gear enough for it to bother me. He just kind of looked like Biker Taker, but this was I think this was like relatively early Biker Taker run, wasn't it? Was it? yeah, two thousand one. Yeah, uh, early two thousand one. I think I thought he like came back. Biker I thought he came back in two thousand, didn't he? This is like middle. This is like mid. It has to be middle Biker Taker. Actually, yeah, you know what? I just looked it up. He debuted as Biker Taker May of 2000. So he had been Biker Taker for a little while. Yeah, so I, he, I thought it was mid-2000 when he debuted. And then he was Biker Taker until about 2003. So he still had some time to refine the gear and refine... It, the- it looked like he was trying to like call back to his old the old gimmick because he's teaming with Kane. But also, like, be Biker Taker. And it just was not working. Yeah, I, I, I always kind of like this. It's one of my guilty pleasures as a wrestling fan is Biker Taker. No, Biker Taker is great. It's just, a, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't like the ring gear. I don't know what the, like, consensus of, like, wrestling. Because, like, the wrestling, like, fan community, like, kind of has consensus on certain things that, like, they like or they don't like. I don't know where they fall on Biker Taker. I personally always think Biker Taker is cool. So, yeah, I like Biker Taker because he like actually interacts with fan, like with other wrestlers and shit. Unlike the like the Dead Man, who's just a little Rest Dead Man, I guess. In yeah. Peace. Yeah. Like like the Dead Dead Man Taker kind of exists in his own universe and his own ecosystem. Whereas Biker Taker is just like he's a he's a biker. You know, he's you know he's hanging out and getting in fights and drinking beer. You know, he's basically like a member of the APA, except scarier. So, I mean, and that's cool. That's cool. With <laughs> I just understood what you said. And yeah, that was very true. Yeah. 
But now, after this, it is main event time. It is Kurt Angle taking on The Rock. Kurt Angle defending his WWF title uh, backstage. The Rock cuts the Karrion Cross TikTok promo 18 years before Karrion Cross first did it. Um, this is, it's always weird to me seeing Kurt Angle come out 2000, 2001 pre you suck chance it's always weird to see him without the you sucks yeah but this is my favorite version of kurt angle young starry-eyed still hasn't gone bald yet still wears the gold medal around his neck when he comes out and the boy is just a freaking natural and of course it's the rock it's 2001 the crowd loses it whenever he does anything um, and when they face off, the crowd is so hot. Big angle sucks chance. And we go straight into this match. Um, they're really going back and forth for the first part of this match. Angle hits a couple of big overhead belly to belly suplexes. Then the rock comes back, hits one of his own. He gets him in the sharpshooter, but angle gets to the rope, hits him with a Samoan drop, hits him with a superplex. We get our first near fall of the match. Uh, Angle tosses The Rock out of the ring and then The Rock starts selling the left leg for a bit. This is where things get a little fucky. So out of nowhere, you hear, well, it's the Big Show. <laughs> Big Show walks out. Uh, we haven't seen him for about two and a half hours. Um, he just walks in. I, I, I wouldn't call it a run-in. It's a walk-in. He leisurely makes his way to the ring. He chokeslams Mike Kyoto, the referee. He chokeslams Kurt Angle. He chokeslams The Rock. And then he leaves. And that's all we see out of the big show. He just comes in and beats everyone up. And then he just walks on out. Um, so from backstage, referees Tim White and Earl Hebner, they come out to help uh, Mike Kyoto out because he is he is dead. Um, they are carrying him to the back when Earl Hebner notices... Uh, Kurt Angle is in the ring pinning The Rock. Like, Kurt Angle, while all this is going on, has rolled over The Rock. And Hebner actually dashes in and tries to count the pin. And then The Rock kicks out. Then goes back to the outside to continue to try and help Mike Kyoto to the back. So if there's a second there where there's no referee in the ring. And uh, The Rock takes the chance to smash Kurt Angle in the face with the WWF title belt. Hebner then comes back in to try and count that pin as well. He kicks out of that. From that point on, Earl Hebner just takes over as the referee for the rest of this match. Um, we got a spot where Kurt Angle locks in the ankle lock, which was like very recent development from this. It was like very shortly after he started using the ankle lock as his submission. Um, and I thought it was funny. He gets like he gets he gets a bleep midway through while he's yelling at the rock. You don't see many guys get like get like get bleeped while they're in the middle of a match, but Kurt Angle pulls it off in this one. Flipping Peacock. Um, the Rock gets to the bottom rope, comes back, hits his spine buster. He absolutely electrifies the crowd with the people's elbow. Kurt Angle kicks out, uh, hits a low blow in the corner behind Earl Hebner's back. He exposes the turnbuckle. He counters a rock bottom and slams the rock into the exposed turnbuckle. He hits the Olympic slam, his finishing move, but the rock kicks out to a massive pop from the crowd. 
The Rock then throws him into the turnbuckle. The finish of this match gets a little weird. I, I'm not really sure exactly what happened. Um, the Rock throws him into the turnbuckle, hits the Rock bottom. Kurt Angle does not kick out. I mean, you see him, he doesn't move. But Earl Hebner stops the count at two. And the announcers are selling, like, oh, I can't, he kicked out. I can't believe he kicked out of the rock bottom. But when you watch it, like, he didn't kick out. Like, it's really <laughs> weird. I mean, the assumption that you have to make is that the plan was always for Angle to take two rock bottoms and he was going to kick out of the first one and the Rocky would get him up and hit him, up, hit, one, hit him with another one. But Angle forgot to kick out of the first one. And then they just kind of went on with it anyway and stopped the count. And we're like, oh, he kicked out, even though he didn't. And then Rock gets him up, hits a second Rock bottom, and then he gets the pin. And the Rock wins what was at the time a, a record sixth WWF championship, 16 minutes and 54 seconds. The finish was weird, again, with, with Kurt Angle possibly forgetting to kick out or whatever weird miscommunication happened. So it takes a little bit of steam out of the ending. But the crowd still reacts. Huge for The Rock winning the match. And this is just a good, very, very hot match. I mean, the crowd, again, it's The Rock in the Attitude Era. Crowd's crazy for him. And they're reacting big to everything. You, you remember the time that the crowd didn't pop hard for The Rock? Um, I remember like 1996. Yeah, <laughs> no, that, no. See, actually, The Rock. No, you see, you're thinking of Rocky Maivia. Actually. Oh, okay. Now, okay. yeah, I, I forgot that they were. I different. forgot they were different dudes. I forgot <laughs> that they were different people. The promo package for this was just again, WWE has the market cornered on promo packages on pay per view. Like whenever they have a main event promo package, nine out of ten times, it's something amazing. Yeah. And that's something that, like, still to this day, hey, we, you know, we criticize WWE for a lot. But still to this day, they have the touch on those pre-match packages. They're still really freaking good. Even and, like, after the weeks one... of nothing, they somehow cobble together something incredible. Yeah. Like, even like even they have, they, they'll have the dumbest, you know, just heatless storylines ever. And then the pay-per-view, will, like, will have these packages that, like, make it look great. You know, it's awesome. I mean, like, the one I think about all the time, like, of more recent vintage is the Samoa Joe AJ Styles one where it's him reading the yes. night night age the what was it is like night night AJ or whatever uh, like storybook that's like the coolest one I've ever seen. <laughs> oh Wendy, oh Wendy. Yeah, uh, I don't know. Like I like we uh, on a scale of one to ten, what was the work rate of this match? Scale of one to ten, work rate. I probably say six and a half. I, I said six. I was gonna say That's seven or eight. I mean, these matches, like we always talk about, like or not necessarily we, but people talk about how much better the Attitude Era is than now. But I, I firmly believe that, like any match on Raw these days, from a straight up work standpoint, is just as good. I'd agree with that. From a straight yeah. up, from a straight up crisp wrestling standpoint just as good and yeah. like 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 the wrestling wasn't that much better it's just that everything i think i don't know if made more sense is the right word but like people just cared more i i would i, don't say, know. I would agree with that like because there's no heat like it, it feels like the heat's kind of been sucked out and that's what i mentioned before too is just 
if you look at how they marketed marketed back then versus how they market it now, back then it's supposed to be edgy. It's supposed to be kind of it's supposed to be a little bit taboo because you want to get that very passionate fan base that's going to care a lot about it. Nowadays, they kind of like prop it up for general audiences. They don't really care if you're a diehard or not. They're looking to see what is going to get the most eyeballs from casual fans. And that, and what the product is today does it. Like that's what that's what they use. Yeah. Um, AEW is a little bit different because again, it's a more of a, it's a little bit more of an edgier fan base. You have more people that are passionate about it, like that will go on Twitter. Did you just say edgier? Yes. Shut up. <laughs> they are. I am not edgy, Angelo. Actually, actually, Edge is on the other. Like Edge is on Raw. Like they're more of a Christianier fan base. <laughs> <laughs> Hate you, David. Bad. Uh, Bad. That was an Angelo joke if I ever heard one. Uh, <laughs> no, but like the the AEW fan base, while it's not as big because it maybe only has one show, it's definitely a lot more passionate than the WWE side. But the WWE side, you get more casual fans that would be like, "Yeah, I got nothing else to do." Like that's literally my whole thing with watching Raw. It's like, "Hey, I got nothing better to do. It's good background noise, I guess. I'll throw it on." And that's kind of what they're marketing. So it kind of stinks because, again, like you look at this era back then. Yeah, the stuff in the ring maybe doesn't measure up to especially stuff that you see on NXT now. Uh, but outside of NXT, you struggle to get any sort of heat that The Rock is generating. Like The Rock, his promo before he comes out, you could feel the charisma coming through your screen 20 years later. And, and that's just like how that testament to the rock. Like the guy was playing himself up, turned up to 11. Angle was playing himself, turned up to 11. And that's kind of what makes a good wrestler is just like where you give them room to be themselves and then you build a storyline around it. Like Drew McIntyre talked about his return in his book. Um, the reason why he got, he, he feels like he got so much more improved as when he was in WWE the first time to the second time is that he stopped trying to be just a character in the ring and just started acting like himself, but more like all the, all the way up, like turned all the way the maxed out. He's drew McIntyre to the max. And I think that kind of plays a role. Cause nowadays, like again, AJ styles can have some really good moments on the mic, but when he debuted, like when he opened up raw two weeks ago, it sounded just like a generic promo written by someone in the back that he was supposed to hit all these points and it didn't get good until Kofi started talking on the mic. And, you know, they had, Kofi's pretty much got free range to say whatever he wants on the microphone. And then the Styles doing the rebuttal is finally where you start to hear some of the Styles character and not just some mook who's reading a script. I don't know how you ended up getting on AJ Styles and Kofi Kingston. Yeah, I, don't, I, was, I, I was kind of lost on that one. I wasn't really <laughs> sure where it was going, but I enjoyed the journey. Yeah. <laughs> It's not about, it's it's about the journey, not the destination. Jay. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like like any good wrestling match. It's about the journey. Yeah, I mean, again, when we talk about the Rock, and I've talked about this before, when um, you know when we talk about the Rock as a wrestler, it's not again. I mean, really good athlete. He never did anything like again. Obviously, he was a really good athlete. And, you know, a natural wrestler, but he never did anything that was like. Every move that he did was like there was a hundred other people who did the yeah. same move. You know what I mean? But somehow every single move he did, he had his own spin on it. Like every single move he did 
like he did it in a way that was unmistakably the rock the rock like even down to the littlest things like the way he ran the ropes nobody really runs the ropes exact like quite the way the rock does you know what i mean like i watched him i was like really fixated in this match on his punches and like you know there are some dudes who like you watch them and it's like that guy has an incredible work punch you know what i mean like totally blanchard for instance is an example of a guy who just had the best freaking punches ever i watched the rocks punches and i can't really tell if they're good or bad but they're just the rocks punches, you know, like he just does them in a way that no one else does. Like you could like show me like a gif of him, like silhouetted doing it. Just like, like a a colorless figure, like just the outline of someone doing the rocks punches. And I could identify that as being, that's the rocks punches. You know what I mean? Like, and it just, even down to the littlest things, it never, ceases to amaze me how he had his own spin on every single thing you can possibly do in the wrestling ring. And that's one of the reasons why for me, he was such an incredible character was because there was nobody like him in every single way possible. Or in any sport either, like outside of wrestling. Just uh, the freaking best man. And I really like this match. Again, you talk about the crowd. That's what makes it. You know, and you can talk about all the various reasons why the, the fan base in 2001 WWF was way hotter than the fan base in 2021 WWF, I'm sure. Part of that is because, uh, you know, it was a pandemic and we haven't had fans in the stands in a long time. But um, they go crazy for The Rock and it makes every single match he's in feel like a big deal. So, I feel like that about covers it. So let's hit our two and a half marks, boys, shall we? Angelo. All right, uh, half mark. I've done it before, but I'm doing it again just because I love this move. It's going to DDTs. It's a high-impact move that you don't have to be like super flexible to do, that you don't have to be super strong to do, that anybody can really do. And it's always going to look like it's going to you know, absolutely plant the guy. It's always going to get a near fall. It's not a move, that it's, that's, it's not a move that's no-sold frequently. And so it's just like a very simple, basic move that you probably can learn on your first day of wrestling school. David, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Wait, what, the DDT? Yeah. I did not learn it on my first day of wrestling school. I will. Do I you will believe say. you could? Um, yeah, I mean, it's sort of just like you kind of get the guy in a face lock and then do a bump. You know? Absolutely. Like it's one of the it's, it is like a pretty simple deal. But it lo- it just always looks good, and you have quite a few of them throughout the card. Um, there's like there's one in the Angle Rock match. Uh, there's a, another one in the uh, triple. There's a few in the Triple H Stone Cold match, and they just always have a lot of impact. They're always sold as like oh my gods, and I I, I don't think you can ever have a like a bad moment to have a DDT. Uh, my one mark is going to strapless Kurt Angle. So I was I kept waiting for Kurt Angle to pull up the straps before the match started, and he never did because of the intensity of this rivalry. And the guy, the longer it went, I'm like, dude, Kurt Angle doesn't need the straps. Kurt Angle could be strapless every time, and he's still gonna, you know, look great, feel like he's super important. He doesn't look st- like it, some people can't do the straps. Some people can't do the no straps. Like Big Show probably can't do no straps, but Kurt Angle, man, that guy could do no straps. And he looked damn good out there, even though he lost to The Rock. So, Wait, Angelo, have you ever seen the clip where he, uh, where Angle takes the straps off, 
they fight for a little bit and he doesn't win. So he has to put the straps back on and then take them back off again. <laughs> no, it's, I'm not. It's actually hilarious. Yeah. He like puts the straps back on just to immediately take them back off again. And then my last, it's a negative two marks, even though the show was really good. Hey guys, how many run-ins do you think were on the, uh, in on the show? Run-ins. So are we counting the interference? Are we counting the uh, the hardcore match? Yes. So that would be what six in that one or seven in that one? Oh, not not like not. Okay, how many of the matches had run-ins or outside interference? Okay, the first one did. The uh, was the second one. The uh, the just incredible was in the second one. Uh, The third one did because of Regal. None in the three stages of hell match. I don't believe. I think that one was clean. There was interference in the right to censor match. There was, I don't think interference in the tables match. But then there, there was. was it was Haku and uh, Rikishi. Haku. Oh, yeah. oh, I completely forgot about Haku and fucking Rikishi. You're right. So there was interference <laughs> in that one, and then, um, in the main event, was there any Big Show? Big Show. I'm completely. I literally watched this shit today, and I forgot about that. So this is why I six out of the seven matches. This is why I was asking if Vince Russo was booking oh, during yeah, this time because yeah, yeah, yeah. every match had a run in. Every match had interference. Like I understand, sometimes it moves a story along, and you can create new stories based on the guys that run in, like with Taker and Kane and Rikishi and Haku. But like, come on, can we just have a few or at least most of these matches end with like without any outside interference? Please, so we can get some, like, you know, actual, like, meaningful matches instead of, like, oh, well, you know, this happened in the match, and if that doesn't happen, then who knows what would actually have happened. Like, the only match we get that for is Triple H and Stone Cold Steve Austin, which, if there had been interference in that match, this would have been a very much worse pay-per-view. But, like, the fact that you have six out of the seven matches with interference run-ins there's only one instance of like true interference where like you have the managers in the uh steven richards versus jerry lawler match it's just too much man it's too much just give me some clean finishes too much to ask for angelo all right i'm gonna follow it up Uh, i'm gonna give a half mark to using road signs as weapons it's so dumb i don't know why like I, i i just complained about like using the sledgehammer and the barbed wire two by four, but there's something about like crash Holly's just like, like driving to the arena. And he's like, you know what I'm going to use tonight? And he just pulls over and rips a stop sign out of the ground. I'm going to use this tonight. And then he drives to the arena with it, like in his car. I don't know why I just get such a kick out of that. I'm picturing crash. Holly's driving in the rental car and he has like a stop sign in his passenger seat. And he has the (laughs) seatbelt around the stop sign. And he's like, like if he hits the brakes really hard, he puts his hand out to stop it. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> also up there, baking uh, sheets. Oh, baking sheets are good. I like, I like a good baking sheet spot. Um, yeah. Or or bed pans, maybe. You know, yeah. like uh, yeah. Stone Cold Juice. Yeah, but baking sheets are great because they're like, they make a good sound, but they're also really light. Like you can hit someone in the head with them, and it's not going to really hurt, but it also makes a good sound. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the road signs kind of do that too. If you gimmick them, I, I would think. Um, my, I, I don't know. This might be one of my first ever. I'm not sure what mark, positive or negative, to get it. But the past two, three stages of hell matches that I've watched were this one and Gargano Cole from Takeover New York, and they were both the same three matches, right? 
I want a weird three stages of hell match. I want a weird one. Like, uh, guys, give pick a random match gimmick. Buried it's alive three, match. It's a three stages of hell match. <laughs> the buried alive match is the first fall. <laughs> <laughs> It's a, it's a buried alive match, and then we've got a kennel from hell match, and then the third the third fall is a road wild. Match. Road wild. I was actually thinking that. I'm like, what's like, the match where they're on the know. road? Like, I guess I'm giving it like a negative mark because I want it. I want it to be weird eventually. I would love the buried alive match to be the first fall. <laughs> you have to bury the guy, and then you literally then the guy who buries him has to then get a shovel and dig the guy out. He's <laughs> so cool. <laughs> Oh God! Oh, You're welcome. God. That actually, I like that. I like that. Uh, and then my positive two marks are go- is going to pay per views that are built properly. Um, when you look at this, like, sure, you could have disagreed with where some stuff went, but I thought the opening was good. Uh, you could have switched that one in the second match; it wouldn't really matter to me. I think they were both great. Then you have Steph and Trish in a good spot. Because it was the crowd was hot, but it wasn't like it wasn't like a title match or anything. Then you have the three stages of hell match. Great place for that. Right smack in the middle of the card. The crowd is in their seats. They are hot. They are invested. Uh, and then after a match like that, they really gave them two cooldowns. One wasn't enough. You had to give them a full cooldown, then a match to kind of rev them back up, and then you hit them with a championship. I firmly believe that the championship should close the show unless it's an unsanctioned match or like a true blood feud. Like, uh, yeah, mostly just unsanctioned matches. But uh, I just think that this was built wonderfully. So two parts to building pay-per-views properly. Yeah, completely agreed. I think a lot of times we see and criticize a lot of the shows that we watch for like the way they're laid out is kind of you know not necessarily the best way this is an example of one where they got it right and it's just the card feels very very well balanced yeah so for me my uh, three marks i'm gonna give my half mark to the dedication of referee earl hebner so my fate the thing that made me laugh my ass like the one time i really genuinely laughed out loud during this show was so in the main event, I don't know if you guys noticed this. So Big Show, we get the Big Show run in. He chokeslams the shit out of Mike Chio- Mike Kyoto. Mike Kyoto's dead. Earl Hebner is one of the two guys that comes out to try and help him to the back. And then they're like, you know, they're helping him out. They're trying to take him backstage. And then Earl Hebner out of the corner of his eye, he looks into the ring and he sees that uh, Big Show, or uh, he, he sees that Angle's covering Rock. He's got to get in there and, and count the pin. Because this is the title match. This is important. So he, like, leaves Mike Kyoto and literally, like, just dumps Mike Kyoto on the floor. Like, <laughs> Mike Kyoto, like, just land on the floor. And it's like, yeah, you know, he's he's out here. He wants to help his his injured co-worker. But, like, he will throw that son of a bitch on the ground if it means that he's, you know, he has to do his job. The You know, the, the title comes first. He's willing to throw Mike Kyoto to the ground and, and let him just lie in a in a pool of his own blood on the floor if it means that the show will go on. And I respect the dedication of Earl Hebner. Um, my one mark goes to I don't I don't know what if, if there was like a name for these guys. I, I just called them those dudes. And it was the it was the group of 
but guys who were just like in the intercontinental title picture around this time. We're talking about Benoit, Eddie, Jericho, the guys from that kind of group of dudes who like came up through Japan and then to WCW and they were the great workers and ended up in WWF. You know, Dean Malenko was in there, Perry Saturn, all those guys, you know, that group of dudes. I feel like those guys are all kind of grouped together at this point. You could throw any single combination of those guys together in any type of match, and it was always going to be really good. And this was another example of, of these guys are in a match, and you look at the roster, you look at the list of guys in the match, even if you haven't seen it, you know this is going to be a good match just because of we, we know who's in the match, and then it's a good match. Because it, it, a, match was, like, a match with Chris Benoit, Eddie Guerrero, and Chris Jericho is never not going to be good. There's no possible way it's not going right. to be good. Question for you, David. Would this match have been better with Chavo Guerrero in the X-Pac spot? I think it probably would have been just as good. I mean, if not yeah. slightly worse. I mean, X-Pac was genuinely a really good worker. I was just curious because um, Chavo's kind of like also in that group. I don't I don't think he really is. Uh, but, I mean, Chavo, a very good worker. But X-Pac... I think is is always underrated, you know, to this day. Is like people don't really quite give him his due for how good of a worker he was and how athletic he was. But he was always a guy that was really fun to watch, especially throughout like when you talk about the early to mid nineties when there was like he was one of the only like athletic dudes on the roster who could kind of do cool stuff. You know, I, I think that he's never really gotten his due. Um, and then number two, my my, my two marks goes to. One specific moment, but it's in every Rock match, when the Rock stands over his opponent and he kicks the guy in the arm, and then the crowd realizes that the people's elbow is about to happen, <laughs> and every the crowd just ignites and everybody stands up in unison. You know, they called it the most electrifying move in sports entertainment, and that moment when everyone stands in unison and starts to make noise for the people's elbow, never fails to electrify me, the viewer. (laughs) It's just one of those special things that like can only happen in wrestling. And it could only be the rock because there is only one rock. So that will wrap up our coverage of WWF no way out 2001. So, we will hit our last order of business. We are going to spin the randomizer and see what we're going to be watching next week. I will keep asking for a pandemic pay-per-view until we get a pandemic pay-per-view. Can you wait for your goddamn cue, Angelo? No. So, as I spin the randomizer, what do you boys want to watch? Angelo? (laughs) Yeah, I already said my two cents. I'm not repeating myself. I I want an Armageddon. Uh, Jake, I think you're going to be very happy. Are you kidding no me? <laughs> with, uh, with what we got here. Next no week, way. On the Two and a Half Marks podcast, we will be heading back to the uh, Attitude Era and watching Armageddon 1999. The very first <laughs> Armageddon pay-per-view. Uh, main event, a no-holds-barred match between Triple H and Mr. McMahon. And the shocking conclusion to the Big Show, Big Boss Man feud 
where the big boss man stole Big Show's dad's casket. Oh, oh no. no. <laughs> but that's going to be next week on uh, the Two and a Half Marks podcast, Armageddon 1999. So, for my good friends, Jake Long and Angelo Inglisa, my name is David Staffan. Thanks, everybody, for listening.